RingCentral are the leading cloud communications and collaboration solution for today's workforce. RingCentral integrates your team messaging, video meetings and business phone into one application so your team can do more together from anywhere. For a free trial, visit ringcentral.com.au. RingCentral, communications reimagined. Welcome to the Employees Matter podcast where we bring you the latest information to help business owners, entrepreneurs and managers manage their team through COVID-19 and beyond. Listen in as we share leading edge information with experts across a variety of fields, from HR to legal, to negotiation, to mental health, and so much more to help you not just survive, but thrive through the pandemic. And now here's your host, Natasha Hawker. Janine Fulton is the Director of Domestic Violence Business Solutions in Australia and also Janine Fulton Harm Prevention Solutions in New Zealand. Both businesses are developing leaders who want to stand out and scale up to prevent bullying, harassment, including sexual harassment and domestic violence abuse in the workplace. Janine has worked directly with 11,000 plus families to deliver safety solutions for over 25 years. She's now on a mission building corporate capability with boards, executives and business leaders so organisations and their people can be safer and feel safer from harm. Janine has had an impressive 23-year career with the New Zealand Police as a detective and senior manager, saving lives and solving complex crimes and is now here to share her knowledge with business owners. Janine is currently a board director of DV SafePhone and also currently serves as an advisory committee member for the Australian Institute for Strangulation Prevention. Janine's purpose is to see a world full of business leaders challenging the status quo to reduce bullying, harassment and domestic abuse harm in the workplace. We had such great feedback from our last chat with Janine and I am sure that you will get just as much from our conversation this time around. So we see that there are a number of significant themes coming out of COVID for the workplace. One of the most horrific ramifications in my view from COVID and the fact that most of Australia went to working from home overnight was the increase in the domestic and family violence for Australians. So today we are going to be talking about everything domestic and family violence with the amazing Janine Fulton, previously Janine Lee. So we are welcoming you back again and thrilled to have you back. Welcome. Thank you so much, Natasha. It's fantastic to be here today with you. It's always good to have you. And I'm really excited that you've uh, to have you on the Employees Matter podcast again. And this is your third episode. But this is because I think that what you do is of national importance and literally has the capacity to save lives now more so than ever. Um, and I would encourage you listeners uh, to go back and listen to Janine's previous episodes, especially if you are the victim of domestic or family violence, or you have a friend or a family member that you're concerned about, as Janine actually talks through how you can help keep a victim safer in those previous episodes. So they're really worth uh, reviewing. So without further ado, let's get into it and have our uh, coffee catch up. And for those listeners that, that are new to you, can you tell us, Janine, about how you ended up where you are today? 
Yes, certainly. It's been a very interesting journey for me. So I'm a former police officer of 23 years. Um, I joined the New Zealand Police Force when I was 24 years of age and left in 2017 and worked across a variety of policing roles during my time. So it would be fair to say, Natasha, that there really hasn't been anything that I haven't seen or done in the past. And I, having brought up my own two girls as, as I went along with my career, working in CIB as a detective since 2004, I investigated a lot of homicides and serious crimes for well over half of my career. And during that time, I really um, focused on domestic and family violence, child protection and sexual, sexual violence prevention as well and investigations. And there were quite a few things that I saw during that time where there were gaps and one of those gaps was in terms of um, supporting employers in the workplace because I could see that they weren't getting the support that they needed at the time um, through my policing career and um, the victims that I was dealing with were having to struggle with retaining their, their work, um, keeping up their performances and so forth while managing some horrific experiences. So that's what led me into to leaving the police because I believed that I could make a wider change at scale and to really support more people sharing the knowledge um, that I have to be able to support not only victims of domestic and family violence who are at work and we know that there's a lot of people men and women um, who this relates to as, as victims that are in the workplace now that, that really need that hand as well as employers to know what to do and say so that's how I've come to, to be where I am today. It, it's great to hear your story again and I always say that you know after 25 years or whatever I've been doing in HR there's pretty much nothing that I haven't seen so I, I hear what you're saying there yes I think it's a lovely journey and I, and I do think you know you can do so much more externally to to potentially the fabulous work you did internally with the police force so that brings me to my next question what do you enjoy about your role and what frustrates you what I enjoy about my role is is the mentorship and the knowledge that I can share because it comes with so many lessons learnt from others and myself from an operational perspective as well and and to be able to create solutions for people especially when they speak up and they say Janine you know no one's going to believe me or, or I don't have any options so that brings me joy especially around when there's harm involved to be able to provide people with not only the hope but, but the method and the process to be able to, to work through that more safely. Um, I, I love that. The, the challenge that I find uh, still very difficult today is that employers say to me, you know, Janine, what you're doing is so great. However, we're really happy and we're really pleased to know it's not happening in our workplace. And not happening here, happening everywhere else but here. Absolutely, absolutely. So my challenge to all people is, is around, are we equipped to be able to recognize what's right in front of us and see what we're not seeing and seeing that hidden harm and, and then how we can, um, what methods we have in place to be able to safely support people. So that's and my I, biggest frustration. And I imagine Janine that victims of domestic and family violence would get pretty good at covering it up because they're terrified to lose their jobs. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and covering it up, not only with employers, but with family, 
mm. covering up with friends, with neighbours, um, and even, you know, they find it very difficult to recognise what's happening to them themselves and admitting, admitting it to themselves as well. It's a very complex topic, actually. So, Janine, paint us a picture of what type of issues you help your clients with. So I cover off a whole host of different things from policy and training right through to implementation solutions on the ground for employers. And we use a model um, that's unique to our company called EasierC, which is all around um, mentoring leaders to be able to speak up around the explanation. So why are they doing this? And then the attraction is in terms of the policies and, um, and integration and governance, the practices, the safety management of people, um, investigations in terms of safety practices and um, for sexual harassment and domestic violence if it's happening in the workplace or there's been allegations of violence. We're looking at education, learning and development and how um, employees can, can actually implement things in the workplace if they see or hear things that are happening either or experiences to themselves. We're looking at risk management strategies and then continuous improvement as well. So what that means is, is that we're helping people with immediate safety actions for leaders, um, initial actions around reporting domestic and family violence. We're looking at workplace safety plans, um, individual case management and sharing stories capturing evidence and recording them and with affidavits, packaging them for lawyers, um, medical practitioners, psychologists and so forth. And also like cyber stalking and harassment and all the interventions that go with um, our DV Safer workplace program, which covers off um, family, friends and home as well, safety actions too. And I think what you've touched on there and is so important and in my time, in my career, I've seen it happen is that largely employers and managers and colleagues and friends and family for that matter, they really want to help. Yes. But they're not sure what their boundaries are. And, and I think in the past that, that was, there was always that, I know something's going on, we'll do whatever we can support, whatever yes. we can do to support whoever the individual or the victim is, but I don't really want to get too involved. It's none of my business it's not appropriate. And, and that's changing, which is fantastic because you and I have spoken before about how we need a multi-pronged approach to, to solve this issue. So why has COVID been so devastating for domestic and family violence in Australia and in New Zealand and around the world? It's a really good question. And I believe that, you know, having twisted and turned through COVID-19, many companies are now really having to reinvent, reposition and pivot themselves in a forever changing landscape, Natasha, to meet the demands of what's fair and good, coupled with a strong focus on camaraderie and also community as well. And that's all sorts of community. So at the same time, employers are they're searching now, not only for that physical safety protection at work, but more importantly, they're expecting the psychological safety protection from every workplace experience. So people are hoping now for safety, understanding and confidentiality and care as we move into that more hybrid working from home and on-site situations. And yet employers and employees are, are left really feeling quite disappointed that sometimes they feel that there's a misalignment between personal values and company values in terms of responses. So that's the, the devastating impact that domestic and family violence and other types of 
psychological harm in the workplace is really causing through COVID-19 as we move forward, I believe. And as you know, we moved to working from home overnight. And for many of our victims of domestic and family violence, that just put them with their perpetrator for a longer period of time. Often their workplace was their sanctuary. And what we're seeing and, and what we're predicting is that return to work in the way that it was before COVID will not come back. It's, yes. That's gone forever. Now, I think at best it's going to be a hybrid approach. But I think, you know, one of the challenges for business owners is where a victim and you're, you may not be aware they're a victim, want to come back to the office and, and there's a real strong desire to come back to the office and that's because that's their safe space and that they need the employer's support to help them do that and I think that's so important. So when we spoke last year, we forecasted that the incidence of uh, domestic and family violence would rise. Has that in fact been the case? I believe it has, yes. And although we're still waiting for formal statistics to come out in relation to that, we're seeing often in the media now a lot of um, articles and research that's coming out to, to support that belief. Um, we've seen a dramatic spike in calls to national and statewide domestic and family violence hotlines. And there's been a recent paper by the Australian Institute of Criminology that um, where they've come out and said that two thirds of women, that's 67% who had experienced violence prior to the pandemic by their partner experienced an increase in violence. And I think that that's where we're seeing so much more um, with the forecasts of incidents, uh, the rise in violence and the type of violence in particular is of extreme concern that's being reported. Mm. We actually had a, a client just before Christmas, um, and it was, but it was actually a sexual allegation of sexual assault in the workplace uh, just before the Christmas break. And that for them as an organisation has been an extremely challenging, it's a small office, it's a small environment uh, situation to try and navigate. Incredibly difficult for a business owner who absolutely wants to do the right thing but is completely uncertain of where to go and what to do. Yes, out of their depth. And, and they don't know in terms of, um, you know, I'm finding employers don't know in terms of their own duty of care and where that line is and how much they have to do. And they're left with a personal um, feeling of, of helplessness because on a personal level as well, are we doing enough as employers? And, and there's, there's a lot of guilt and a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety that comes with that too. And then thirdly, the ripple effect with other employees as well and managers, not only supporting that person as a team leader, but in small organisations, it affects everyone on so many different levels. And it's how all that's managed together can be very, very difficult unless the right frameworks are put in place and processes to, to know exactly what to do to give that clarity and direction. I think particularly for those, and, and they're often forgotten, the extended workforce that are impacted by it, um, absolutely must have EAP uh, and employees yes. program in place so that people, because you don't know what they're coming from or their previous life experiences. And for many, it could be a trigger um, and the ability to be able to go and talk to someone confidentially and get that support is absolutely critical. Absolutely. And, and even having um, specialists within an EAP as well to, to be able to give them the right support. So um, a classic example would be is that we wouldn't be encouraging in, in situations like that if, say, uh, there was a sexual 
violent situation in the workplace whilst working from home, for example, that we wouldn't encourage couples counselling, for right. example. Um, so it's it's getting the right checks and balances there too in terms of, of EAP, and it's so important that we do refer to EAP to support our teams. Absolutely. So what are some of the stats that could surprise our listeners? What I would really like to, to talk to around this is, is about sexual harassment. And I think that it's really timely now uh, to be able to, to bring that up in the workplace, especially now we've got hybrid models working from home and working on site as well. Um, I, I think these statistics are really shocking. So the 2018 Respect um, Workplace National Survey came out and said that 33% of people in the workforce in the last five years said they'd experienced sexual harassment in that time. And of those, two in five women, that's 39%, and one in four men, which is 26%, experienced workplace sexual harassment in the last 12 months. Mm. And that was back in 2018. So for, for me, that's a really, really important statistic to convey because now with COVID and working from home, I have no doubt that those figures will be more. Mm, I have no doubt either. And I think they are so underreported. Yes. Um, and I think if you speak to a bunch of women or men in a, in a confidential situation, most of them will uh, in a place of trust, share that they have been sexually assaulted and give or assaulted, sexually harassed in the workplace. My fault, correction. Um, sexually harassed in the workplace, and we'll give you quite a bit of detail. And that could have been mm. many, many years ago. And then my follow-up question is: And did you report it or do anything about it? And in the vast majority of cases, the answer is no. Uh, yes. And the answer for no is because I didn't want to be that troublemaker and I was frightened of losing my job. That, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can easily change that. We can change those cultures. You know, I talk about culture of care and how people can speak up and so forth. And when we have those processes in place, um, it, it's amazing to see that, that shift and that, that the happiness of people come out again because they can talk about it, the trust and the loyalty and so forth. And it, it's, it, we've got so much opportunity to make such a difference. I think one of the areas of confusion is what actually constitutes domestic and family violence. So I know we covered this off last time, but I think it's really important that we all understand what are the types of domestic and family violence? There's lots and lots of different types. So domestic and family violence means um, either violent, threatening or abusive behaviours, um, either by an intimate partner a close relative or a person uh, who cares for you or that you care for um, in the home and they seek to coerce or control you. So it causes you harm or fear. And the types include, it could include stalking, monitoring, harassment, damage to property, serious neglect of either adults or children or other people that you care for, spiritual um, systems abuse, as in like law, um, family courts and so forth, um, cultural abuse, there's technology-assisted abuse, there's financial abuse, abuse of pets, harming children and families. And then we have the more common ones that, that we hear of as well in terms of uh, verbal, emotional, psychological abuse, sexual violence, and then 
um, physical and non-physical. So often people attribute domestic and family violence to physical, but most of it, Natasha, is not. Mm. It's and, so and, much. and it's so much more damaging potentially too, that psychological um, side of it. So I want to explore what you think the government can do to do more in this space. If you had a magic wand and you could get them to do whatever you wanted, what would you have them do? I would have them look at the aspect that we just talked about is that um, domestic and family violence does not primarily constitute physical abuse. So I want them to look at primarily other forms of abuse and psychological abuse. So currently it's not a crime in many states for a perpetrator to engage in controlling and manipulative behaviours. So I believe that we need to criminalise coercive control and then have that backed up by the right systems, the right tools, the right guidelines, bench books, training, um, professional development of, of all people involved in specialist support areas and and that education for employers and the community around that in terms of what they can do and see. So that's where I believe that this whole safety net of support needs to be improved by the government to, to respond um, really effectively to domestic and family violence. And the proof is in the doing. Mm. It is, and they've done it in the UK and Scotland, haven't they? That coercive control that's now been moved yes. into legislation, I think. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So let's explore if I'm a business owner or a manager and I'm listening to this podcast and I suspect or I even know that one of my team members is at risk of or is a victim of domestic and family violence, what can they do to help? I think, I think we need to keep it really simple in terms of, of, of what employers can do to help. And so it comes back to being able to recognise it, um, respond and then refer on to the right specialists to be able to, to support everybody in the organisation. Because as an employer, it's not your responsibility to solve the complexities of um, necessarily bullying, harassment and um, domestic and family violence situations, they are complex and they do require specialists as well. So what I believe is that um, employers need to have the right policies in place. They need to be able to understand and recognise breach of policies, breach of code of conduct and, um, and the laws in a timely manner when that occurs and that the hidden risk must be recognised and managed appropriately. And safety actions must be championed from the top down through communication in terms of what is our stance. So it's communicating through the whole organisation. This is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and, and this is our stance. And employees, when they, when they can see that there's proof in that decision-making in terms of what employers' responses are, that's when we're going to start seeing employees speak up more because there'll be that trust and confidence there that they've got the right processes in place. And then we can start to see that broader change. We often talk about the victim, but what about an organisation where they suspect or know that they have a perpetrator as one of their employees? What do mm -hmm. they do then? And, and this is where it's really, really important to tie that into um, when you're thinking of onboarding new employees 
and then retrospectively employees that are already onboarded and, and have been working for you for some time in terms of communication. So what does your code of conduct look like? What, you, what do your policies look like? What is your stance going to be? Um, are you going to say point blanket that if a criminal offence is committed, then that's contrary to um, you being able to work with us and they're ex exited out um, if that's applicable. And in some cases it's not because employers can't do that in some cases and in some mm. cases they can and that, that's that's a legal matter for consideration um, so so there's a whole host of things there so it, that needs to be communicated and the other the other aspect is 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 in terms of prevention so it's how do you support someone that may be suspected or, or is using violence in the workplace and or at home and what, what does that look like? So do you refer them to EAP? Do you refer them to a men's line? Are you prepared as a company to give them um, paid or unpaid leave to attend court or attend family, family court matters to be able to put the right preventions in place and support for the whole family as mm. opposed to that individual? So it's getting clear strategically what that means for your company and what sort of approach is best for you. Mm. So we touched on it there, but what are the legal obligations uh, for employers? There are there are a number of of legal obligations, mm. and and Safe Work Australia have actually put up on their website um, in late twenty twenty eight things that employers must do to ensure that workers and others are not exposed to risks to their health and safety in the workplace from family and domestic violence. And that includes um, the workplace working from home as well. So um, the first thing is around education. So um, employers must provide all workers with education and training to, to raise awareness and their potential effects in the workplace. I don't the second think that's one, happening a lot. No, no, it's not at all. Not at all. And the second one's policy. So communicating what a, a DFE policy or, um, would, would look like in your workplace. Where do you find it? What's in that to address it? The third one is how are you communicating the availability of um, flexible work conditions? So that's the entitlements. How do you take D, DFE leave? Um, and how, how does that actually happen? Then it's around confidentiality. So assuring workers of all their rights around that. And if they choose to disclose, then how do you support them to keep that information confidential? Um, the next one too is, um, is, is, really, is really around looking at a systematic approach. So what systems have you got in place to manage that risk? And then, because as we all know, we have to manage, if, if risks arise, we have to manage them in the normal way. Um, and then we have to consult um, with team members and control that risk. And then what's your safe, the, the seventh one is a safe reporting mechanism. So do you have a system set up for reporting? And then the eighth one is what does that look like in terms of support? Mm. And so I think it's quite a bit. There's a lot there, and I would suggest that the vast majority of businesses don't have that in place now. But wouldn't it change our world if they did? And I think it's really important to reflect here, and you may update these stats. But I think it's one in four women are experiencing domestic and family and violence, and one in six men. Is that still fairly accurate? Yes, yes, it is. So um, the reality is, if you have an employment force of twenty you're likely to have some of this happening in your workplace. Very much so. 
very much so. And and that's why we developed that easier see methodology, which covers off all those eight things as they go along as well, because that's why I could see that there were really some gaps there and it, it does help. And one of the things that Janine's been really fabulous in doing is she's pulled together a harm prevention toolkit and we're going to add that into the show notes. So you'll be able to access that. And this, I've had a quick look at it. It is amazing. And uh, it's a great starting point for anyone who's feeling any concerns, having heard all of that. So what about us in the general public? What can we or should we do if we hear something? And I, I was reflecting as I was preparing for this podcast. And I remember many years ago, I was flatting on my own in London in a place called Wapping. And um, the couple upstairs would scream and yell and I could hear banging and and I was really frightened for her, but I was really unsure about what to do. I think I was, you know, in my early 30s or something at the time. And because I was on my own, I was frightened for my own safety. What should we do if we're exposed to that sort of incident? You know, how can we help? Or what we what are we required to do? That's right. And and it's a question that so many people ask, or if they don't ask, it's the first thing that comes to mind as well. So I think that the aim is um, is starting a conversation, starting a conversation with that person that you that you're concerned about. Um, and the conversation starts off with being a supportive conversation only. And that's rather than to a to really elicit or extract a disclosure or an admission that something's happening. And I think that's really, that's the most important starting point because many people dealing with domestic abuse will never feel comfortable disclosing it to their employer or their family members. And we talked about that at the beginning of the podcast Mm. as well, um, or family or friends. And it's because often they're not ready to admit it to themselves as well. And, you know, there's a lot of... um, protective factors that are going on that are both covert and overt as such and and it's something that we naturally do so choosing a confidential place to have a conversation is really important as well and making sure that if it is a neighbor for example um, that children are not present in the house because children in my experience can listen through five walls and hear (laughs) things (laughs) It happens all the time and, and I've and I've seen it come up so many times and it causes risk of harm because then what happens is the person using or allegedly using the abuse or the violence is then very skilled at questioning children about who was mum talking to or who was auntie talking to and so forth and and they it really creates a lot of risk of harm around that and making sure that the, the person themselves that's causing the harm um, is not present too. So some of the conversations you could start with are, are things like, is everything all right at home? It could be, you know, you don't have to tell me anything, but please let me know that I'd like to, to support you mm. and that if you're ready, I'm here for you just to listen. Mm. So it could be something like that or or it could be something like, what support do you think might help you? Or what would you like to see happen? And how would you like to see that happen? Because we want to always keep the decision-making within their control. Mm. So that's my advice is around is around having those types of conversations and, and not pushing, but just being there, being present, being supportive mm. and having that listening ear. So obviously you know them there, but if in my example, I didn't even know what the woman looked like. She just lived above me. What would you do in that situation? Would you still follow that approach and try and seek that person out to identify her or should you call the police? What should you do? 
if it's safe to do so, to seek the person out when when it's right, um, I would. However, you know, if, if you can hear that they're screaming and crying and property being smashed or damaged or or your anxiety levels go up to a, to a point where you're not comfortable with it, mm. then absolutely call the police. Okay, that's, that's good a to must. know. Because I think a lot of people second guess themselves and they're like, uh, should I, is this, is it at the level where I should call or not? You know, okay. Um, so I remember pre-COVID that you attended a course in the US and I, I thought this is how different our lives are, the courses I go to, the courses you go to. <laughs> and the course that you went to was on strangulation. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, certainly. Um, it was. It, it's on strangulation prevention, and and the reason that I I I went to the course is because, especially now working from home as well, um, it, it's a topic that has has really never been discussed before in yeah. terms of the workplace, and it's so so significant, and and it's significant for this reason is because, um, it's a subject that, um. When, you're, when people are strangled, they often become unconscious. And as we know in the workplace, if unconsciousness occurs in the workplace, it's a reportable offence or incident um, that needs to be reported. So it has significant impacts for employers moving forward. And strangulation is not something that's often talked about. Um, in any way, shape, or form, but it's very, very prevalent when it comes to domestic and family violence, and also sexual violence as well. So, if employers are hearing, or or you as a person is hearing someone say, um, "I don't remember what happened," and they put their hands on my throat, those are real key indicators um, that that's really serious harm. And so what and what happens is is that there's an intentional application of pressure to a person's neck and that impedes both airflow and blood flow mm. to the brain and it can result in life-threatening internal injuries. And many victims of strangulation, they've got no visible external inj injuries and it's a weapon of power and control that can render victims unconscious in seconds. So the physical symptoms can include impaired speech, pain, loss of bladder and bowel control, and oxygen is deprived, impeding the brain's capacity to form memories. So it's often really, really common that people can't remember what's happened to them. And it results in traumatic brain injury and post, um, it, a lot of post injuries as well, which can cause um, um, dissections to the arteries and um, the um, lots of different uh, places where people can die very very quickly um, or in the carotid carotid arteries mm. and so forth these dissections that can occur so it's a complicated thing and we see it a lot now with um, when when young kids are watching um, on the internet with pornography and so forth and mm. and they're, they're watching things like that and they're normalizing it so it's becoming a normalized um, behavior that occurs and it's such a dangerous one where people can die within seconds mm, or days really, afterwards really scary really scary mm. Um, Janina, you able to share a recent case study, obviously not revealing any names of something that you've worked on, an example of it? What I would like to do is I'd, I'd like to share a case study with you um, 
around, and it's not often talked about, and it's around post-separation. And, and I'd, like, I'd like to give some context to any employers that are listening because often um, we will naturally think, well, someone may have left a relationship and so the problem solved Go because on. they're not living together anymore. Now, the case study I want to share with you is, is um, a client who um, had recently had a baby and pregnancy is one of the highest risk factors in domestic and family violence along along with about three other factors and and so when you've got an, an employee who is on maternity leave for example and she was in this case and um, often there's radio silence there in terms of support now she came back to work with a young child and there had been a separation in the meantime and and then what happened was that although the physical violence was no longer present, she had a protection order in place through the courts, and and the perception is is that she's protected. However, what happened was um, because she was back working, she had some degree of financial independence. She had her own property. Um, the stalking started. The harassment started. She started getting followed to work. She started coming home, having all sorts of little things that were very unique to her moved. So she knew that while she was at work, that he he had been at the house. He'd been breaking into her house. He'd been shifting property. And and it was just little things. Um, And so then what happened was went through the courts through mediation um, in terms of parenting consent orders. And and what happened there was that what she thought was re- a really good handover for children in terms of custody became an absolute nightmare for her because it was in a place where it was secluded and, and, and the, the verbal and emotional abuse began to be perpetrated again. Um, he began to use the children in terms of abuse, which is another common way of using it. So I just wanted to share that example with you because it affected her performance. It required her to take significant amount of domestic and family violence leave to be able to manage not only breaches to both her and her children in respect of the the domestic violence order that was in place, but also in terms of property settlement around um, asset division and also um, in the family court court cases yeah. as well. So that's just a, a common example that I see all the time. And, and then her navigating the handover of children every fortnight, something happened and it was a disaster and it was emotionally stressful. Um, she was anxious all the time and that had flow and effect for her workplace as well. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good example and it just shows you that it's not over when they leave. In fact, I've heard statistics that they're at their greatest risk when they actually leave. So if I just want to ask if this has triggered anything for anyone um, that's listening to this podcast, what do you recommend they do? So um, there's 24-7 helplines. Mm-hmm. Um, so 1-800-RESPECT. Is, is the main national line for anyone um, listening to this and then uh, they will refer you on to, to your local state helplines. Um, EAP is, is, an, is another um, really good asset 
for employees to use and employers as well to be able to support people and speaking up to someone that you trust Mm. and and with the expectation of not even necessarily needing to do anything but having that safe person there to share how you're feeling because we know that this really does impact mental health and and you have to be the priority so you your health and safety is so important so speaking out finding the right person to speak up is really important perfect that is amazing we're going to change tact slightly because i asked this question to all our guests because i always think it's fascinating who has been your best boss to date and why well um, and I think we talked about this one other time as well. And I had I had the most wonderful boss in in the New Zealand police, um, Caroline, and and she was fantastic because she believed in me, and and I had to change the status quo in terms of how we were operating and why we were operating, and she gave me full reign to be able to do what I wanted to do. And and for me, it was really a challenging time, but it brought me to the fore in terms of understanding my own capabilities. And, and so I'm very, very thankful for her for chucking me in the deep end and saying, this is the big problem, go solve it. And, and coming out on top, it was amazing. We need more Carolines in the world. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Janine, as always, I learned something from you and I know our listeners have too. Thank you for being such an incredible partner and also friend of the Employees Matter team. Um, And if people would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can contact you? Oh, look, it's it's fantastic being here and and supporting you and your team as well, Natasha. Um, The best way to contact me is via LinkedIn. And you'll find all my websites on there and so forth. So if you search Janine Fulton on LinkedIn, you'll find me easily there. And I'd love to connect with everyone that sends me a request. Thank you. Fantastic. So if you enjoyed this interview, you'll also enjoy our interview with Graham Cohen around mental health and COVID. As um, Janine touched on, uh, sadly, often they're very connected, mental health and domestic and family violence. Um, They often go hand in hand. So thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe. I'm Natasha Hawker. And remember, your employees really do matter. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode of Employees Matter podcast with Natasha Hawker. For episode notes and other resources, please visit employeematters.com.au forward slash podcast. While you're there, you might like to subscribe for future episodes so you can continue to thrive during the COVID-19 crisis. Please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends, team and business network. This podcast was proudly brought to you by Ring Central.